Sometimes you are going to get sent to a hard place with a message that's unpopular and you're going to be asked to do a hard thing. That's just the way it works sometimes. My brother-in-law is a pastor. My sister Melanie, my older sister Melanie is married to a pastor. His name's Jim. And uh, we went to high school together. Jim uh, rode, uh, I was a bus captain. I would go through the countryside and invite kids to ride our bus and to church and Jim Rode the bus to church, married my sister, and uh, he's a pastor. And he's a man's man. He uh, had a guy in his church that was upset with him. And the guy was a logger. He's a big dude. He was a logger. He's kind of rough. Jim thought, I need to get next to this guy and I need to get to know him. So he went and he bought two cups of coffee and he went out in the woods where this guy was running huge logging equipment. And he walked up to this guy. He walked out into the broken field in the woods there with these two cups of coffee. And when the guy saw him, he turned his uh, heavy equipment toward him and he put it in high gear and drove right at him. And Jim told me, he said, I thought I was going to die right there. And he's kind of stubborn. So he said, and I made up my mind, I guess this is the way I'm going to die, but I am not. I am not going to spill this coffee. <laughs> if you know Jim, that's what he did. He just stood there, staring this dude down. And the guy came within a couple of feet of him. And he got out and said, what in the world are you doing? And why did you come out here? And, and Jim won this guy over. And uh, ironically, in the, in the providence of the Lord, the guy eventually uh, was a parishioner of my dad's. was in my dad's church for three years. And and he was really a very sweet, tender-hearted guy, but uh, he had a rough manner about him. Sometimes you're going to be asked to do something that's hard. The message that we really have is, is going to be increasingly unpopular in the culture in which we live. That's just the way it is. And we're in this Jonah story, and you know the story, right? It's a very simple story. Jonah was asked by God to go with, a, with an unpopular message to... A group that that could easily kill him I mean they were really good at killing people in slow agonizing intimidating ways the Assyrians were bad hombres if you will right and so uh, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and you know the story right he he went to Tarshish which is exactly in the opposite direction and and then he ran away from God and like often happens when you run away from God he ran directly into a storm God arranged a nice scary storm for him and then you know the story right the sailors sparing a bit of the detail tossed him overboard and the sea calm and then god sent a sea monster to swallow him this story is in your bible i'm not making this up and then jonah cries out to the lord in despair not that he was so eager to do what god wanted him to do but he didn't want to die so he crawl, calls out to the Lord in despair, and the fish vomits him out. I'm not supposed to say puke today, so I'm not going to say puke. I'm going to say vomited him out on the shore. I guess some of the ladies were talking while I was preaching last week, and I said vomit. There I said it in the church, and then they said, well, at least he didn't say puke. And then I said puke, and they go, well, now he said it. So the, the fish spits him up. 
on the shore. And that's where we are in the story now. And, and the next line in the story is in Jonah chapter 3. And it goes like this. It's really one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. Remember it? And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Say it. <laughs> How many of you like that part of the Bible? And the word of the Lord. When I'm done today, you will. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So God gives Jonah a second chance. And if you like sermon titles, in the bulletin it says a second chance, but I changed my mind. So here's the sermon title. I'm going to say it. I want you to repeat it. We'll repeat it a couple of times so that it sticks in your heart. How merciful is he? How merciful is he? So I want you to say that with me. It just has a ring to it, doesn't it? Say it with me. How merciful is he? A couple, three times in the sermon today, I'm going to say, God is merciful. And then you're going to say, wow, you are good. You are good for white people. You're good. In the African-American church, that's pretty common. That's why I said that. <laughs> Have a lot of experience in, in, in there. Anyway, for white folks, you're talking about good. So how, how God is merciful. In the text today, in this chunk of the story that we have, it displays an astounding mercy, a beautiful mercy, a poetic mercy, a beautiful mercy of God in the text. And the chunk of the story that we're going to talk about today, this is in Jonah chapter 3, it just shows the mercy of God in, in, in about three beautiful ways. We're going to see how merciful God is. Now listen, why is this important? It's important for a lot of reasons. But the one we're thinking about today is because you're going to be called to do something hard, you're going to have to be courageous, you're going to have to be encouraged. The world that we live in may get darker before it gets brighter. The world that your kids grow up in may be harder than the world that you grew up in, and they're going to have to have courage, and they're going to have to have courageous leadership. And so the most powerful way to be encouraged is to be mindful of the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God that will help us to be encouraged in the world that we're living in, which is really going to grow increasingly dark. Now, so right now, let's just read this chunk of the story in your Bible. It would be in Jonah and chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose, and he went to Nineveh. This is about a 500-mile trip, by the way. Pretty serious endeavor. Jonah arose, verse 3, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> That's, that's sort of interesting to me because he doesn't go to the city and he doesn't say, hey, y'all, let me tell you five ways you can be happier. Right? He, he, doesn't go to, he doesn't have a success seminar. He doesn't do a leadership initiative. Like he doesn't go to town and say, we're going to have some leadership principles here. And on the last, you know, day, he just tosses in a little, you know, a few Bible verses and some God talk. He's like judgment is coming. And actually, if you know Jonah's heart, he's going, and I'm not really, and, and frankly, I wouldn't be unhappy if it did fall on you. 
That's what Jonah. Jonah goes, but he doesn't have it quite all put together yet. And his message is, 40 days and God's judgment is coming on you. And there's probably more to it because you recognize later in the response of the people of the city, they probably do recognize this as a call to repentance and an offer of mercy. But the way it's recorded here is, you have 40 days and God's judgment is going to fall on you. This would be a very unpopular message in a very unusual place and a little dangerous. If Jonah had good sense, he would be afraid. We're going to find out that his main motivation was not fear. Uh, his, his, the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh wasn't fear. But now I would be getting ahead of myself and you wouldn't have any reason to come back next week. So I will tell you that next week. So here you have, now Nineveh is an exceeding great city. I'm in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city. A day's journey he calls out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. He says, we're all going to fast, and all the animals are going to fast, right? Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So you have the king of Nineveh kind of preaching Jonah's message we are under the fierce anger of God because of our violence, because of our sin. We need to be serious with God and repent and turn from this. We need to take our sin seriously and repent. The king of Nineveh is saying this. This is, is most remarkable, right? When God saw what they did, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he didn't do it. All right, that's, that, should, that should raise some questions in your mind. Like, are you kidding me right now? I, how did that happen? That this one squirrely, kind of probably pale-faced, because you would be pale-faced if you spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, right? Comes to town, cries out against it, said, God's going to judge you because of your violence. And they said, okay, we'll just repent then. And the king says, yeah, we need to all repent. We're going to fast, put on sackcloth to show God how serious we are about how we recognize that we broke God's law, we sinned against him. We're all going to repent. And God sees the repentance, and he relents from what he was going to do. So Jonah turns from disobeying God to half-heartedly obeying God. Nineveh turns from sinning against God, ignoring God, idolatry, to God and the king turns and God turns and relents what he was going to do. He decides he's going to withhold his judgment from them and, and he shows them mercy. So Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and, and cry out against them, but to offer them, really, to offer them God's mercy. And the people receive God's mercy miraculously like the whole town, the whole city does. 
And the king, this is just remarkable. And this should bring a question to your mind, like how did that happen? It's, it's fantastic. I want you to notice some things about the mercy of God. God is merciful. Yes, I'll tell you how merciful he is. God is so merciful that he restores rebels and he uses them again. That's the, the amen part right there. Yeah, God restores rebels and uses them again. And he witnessed in a house. Did you ever have a time of, you had a time of rebellion against the Lord, ever? You always did everything he said, and you never went your own way. You never had your own ideas, and you never did what you wanted to do. You just always did what God wanted to do, right? Wrong. Here's Jonah who rebels against God. And, you know, if I'm God, I'm just like, that dude was a loser. You need know, fish bait. So we'll let him go, and we'll go to somebody that wants to participate in one of the greatest revivals ever known to mankind. But God, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time because God is merciful. He's so merciful that he restores rebels and he uses them again. He gives us a second chance, and you know this, and sometimes a third chance and a fourth chance. Matter of fact, when Peter one time asked Jesus, how many chances do we have to give people? And Jesus' answer was, well, hundreds and hundreds. Right, that? Remember that? Yeah, seven times? No, 70 times seven, which is kind of like saying, no, I want you to show mercy over and over and over and over again when people ask for mercy. That's the way I am. I give mercy to people hundreds and hundreds of times. And that should make all of us pretty happy that God is that way, that he's that merciful. He's so merciful that he restores rebels and he uses them again. That's, in, that's incredible. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. David was a restored rebel. Peter, remember, was a restored rebel. Peter did his own thing, denied the Lord, and Jesus gets him to breakfast on the Sea of Galilee, and he gets him back on the team. Uh, John Mark, you know, Paul, I think I said that, Peter, David, lots of other people. Have you ever failed the Lord? Have you ever disobeyed the Lord? Has the Lord ever told you to do something and you didn't do it? Can you remember something that God told you to do that you didn't do? I don't have to think back very far. This girl said to me yesterday, do you want to go get the pizza or do you want me to get it? And I said, I want you to get it. That's like, that was like last night. I, I don't have to think back very, very long to think maybe I was supposed to do that. Um, how about you? Maybe something a little bit more serious. Um, your neighbors, are they, are they just going to go to hell and you're not going to ever bring them a cake over there or, or, or offer to shovel their walk or, or rake their leaves or have a kind talk with them? Are you just going to let them go to hell? You really believe in hell? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven? But you don't tell your neighbors? Did God, the Holy Spirit, ever say, go over there? I, I was walking in my neighborhood. I heard from this gal last, this week, her name's Kim. Walking in my neighborhood, used to live in and uh, a lady in the neighborhood was a Facebook acquaintance of mine, and she wrote me, and she said, my boy noticed that you're always smiling, and you, you must be a happy man. And I, oh, yeah, I really am. And um, a few weeks later, I noticed that her husband, David's dad, died. 
and I was walking, and I looked over, they were in their front uh, yard, and I felt like a little tug on my heart go over there and talk to them. So I crossed the street, and they just stood there looking at me. As I crossed the street, they just stood there looking at me. And then I walked up to him, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, I heard your dad died. I'm so sorry. He teared up. She teared up. Thank you for coming over here. <laughs> All I did was, like, walk across the street, tell him I'm sorry. A couple days later, he's walking by my house. I was going to ask him when his dad's funeral was. He said, hey, David. He goes, hey, I wonder if you would do my dad's funeral for me. Like, well, yeah. I preached his dad's funeral. All the people of my neighborhood were there. If God tells you to do something, just go do it. If God tells you to make some pie, not me, not me. Don't make me any pies. But if God tells you, because if God tells you to make me a pie, probably you got your cross. God wouldn't probably do that because He knows that I really don't need any more pie. But but if He tells you, you know, go over to the neighbor and befriend them. If He tells you, I want you to go. And I want you to forgive that person that hurt you. I want you to be ready to forgive them when they ask your forgiveness. And you don't do that. And you disobey God. Then you cut yourself off from his mercy and his work. Like how, how dumb is that? I'm preaching one time and I was preaching about adultery. Like I was against it. And because um, it's bad. And um, but there was a guy up in the balcony. Sorry if you're sitting in the balcony, nothing personal. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're involved in this, and then it is personal. But he had abandoned his family years ago and committed adultery. And then um, he walked away from God, walked away from his family, hurt his little girls, hurt his wife. And um, after a while, after many years had passed by, he'd remarried, and then his wife, his second wife died. And during that time, he, his, his daughter began to say, Dad, why don't, you, why don't you come to our church? And he said, well, I can't do that because, you know, your mom is there, and she wouldn't want me to be there. And the girl says, no, Mom says it's okay. Just sit in the balcony. <laughs> Don't want to sit with you. And so he, would, he was sitting up in the balcony, and I preached about adultery. And he had done this, blown his whole life up with adultery. And when, when I got done preaching, you know what he did? He repented. And he went downstairs. And he went to his first wife. And he said, I could never make this up to you, what I did to you and the girls. But I, I wonder if you could forgive me for what I did. And she forgave him. One of the things that made his heart tender was that he has... After his wife died, he was moving things around in his garage, and he, he was getting rid of an old desk, and he was cleaning the drawers out of the desk. It was an empty desk. There was nothing in any of the drawers except in the back of, way in the back of one of the drawers was a card that he, that he saw there, and it had never been opened. And what we figured out later on, one of his daughters wrote him a note when he left and put it in his desk, but it got pushed back and never got opened up. And he opened this note, and he saw his little girl's handwriting, you know, Daddy, please don't leave. Mom, we love you. That guy, his name was Charlie, he got a really tender heart for the Lord. And he began to follow the Lord. And he had never been baptized. And he followed the Lord in baptism. He's with the Lord now. 
he repented. Do you need to repent? See, God is so merciful, he restores rebels to service, but they have to repent. You don't get God's mercy without repentance. It's just there, but you don't get it. So wherever you went and did your own thing, you should repent of that. And say, God, I want to do what you said from now on. Because his ideas are so much better. His ways are so much better. He gives you, so you should go over your life. And you should say, is there any area where I disobey God? And he told me to do something I didn't do. And then ask God, can I have a second chance? He will give you a second chance. And then see what a story he's going to write in your life. It's a beautiful thing to think of. And so God is merciful, and he's so merciful that he restores rebels. I had a kid in camp. Uh, I'll tell you this before I move on. And a kid in camp, his name was William, and, and it was down in Kentucky, and I was preaching. I noticed this kid had red hair. It's like the kind of hair you choose, not the kind of red hair that chooses you, but the kind you choose is like super red and was standing right up, like right straight up. He's pretty tall anyway, and then he had this red shock of hair going straight up. So he was kind of easy to notice, plus he wasn't paying attention. So, you know, I'm trying to do acrobatics to get this kid to pay attention. And uh, afterward, I talked to him, and he'd had some troubles, and that's a different story for another time. But, but he got saved that week. That was pretty cool. And I went to the director. I'm like, hey, that kid with the red hair got saved. Director goes, that kid gets saved every year. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, you got to understand. I led him to the Lord, so he's really saved now. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I get it. But like, but at least he comes back every year and he gets saved. So his theology is messed up, but his heart is headed in the right direction, Right? Because once you're genuinely saved and you've truly turned from your sins to God, it's a one-time deal, just so you know. Um, that, that's, uh, that's the security that we have in the Lord. But you, but you continually return to the Lord whenever you stray, don't you? If you really have the Holy Spirit in you and you, and you disobey God, you come back. And that kid comes back to camp every year and he remembers some of the things that he did and he has a pretty difficult life and he gets saved again. There was a girl in our other church, I was a school teacher, started to come to our church and I preached a message called getting saved all over again, which of course you can't do. You get saved one time, but the whole thing is you revisit your salvation, right? And you thank the Lord again and you have a a renewal of that, right? You come back to the Lord. And she said, that's, a, I said, you could get in your car, you could drive out through the Metro Park, you could pray, and you could, you could get saved all over again, you know? And she said, later on, she came to be baptized. She said, I said, how'd you come to the Lord? She said, I came to know the Lord the week you were talking about getting saved all over again. She said, that's when I took my car and I drove out through the Metro Park and I prayed that God, she wrote me a couple of weeks ago and she thanked me again that she had come to know the Lord. Maybe you need to get saved today. Repent of your sins, turn to the Lord and be saved. Maybe you need to get saved all over again, right? Maybe you need to return to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you know, I know I'm saved, you know I'm saved, but I am coming back to obey you. And whatever you want me to do, I want my life to be one unbroken string of obedience to you. And that's, the, that's when the story really gets interesting. That's the way it works when you, there's a guy, I'm going to call him Ted. You know, I took a walk one day and he said, Pastor, I need to tell you, I have made every possible mistake you can make as a married man. I have made every possible mistake you can make as dad. I have broken my wife's heart more than one and my kids too. And some of them I don't even get to be with. And 
my life was in the bondage of alcohol. And then God came to me and he warned me. And I repented. This man is being used of the Lord in a... He'll come and visit us really soon. He'll be with us. He and his wife started over again after some pretty dark mistakes and were powerfully used of the Lord because that's the way he is. He's so merciful that he restores rebels and he uses them again. That's what he wants us to understand from this little subtext of Jonah. This isn't the big idea. That's next week. This is a major idea. The big idea is next week, but the major idea this week is, remember this, if you've ever disobeyed the Lord and rebelled, when you repent and you go back, which, which means you change your mind, will, and emotions about your sin, right? And you go back to God. He will show you mercy and he will use you again. And you want that. So that's how merciful he is. Does anybody here need a new beginning? Think about it. Anybody here wants to need to start over again? But here, I, think, I think we need to be good at starting over again. We need to be good at repenting. We need to get used to it. And then, and then God is merciful. This is how merciful he is. He's holy and he demands absolute holiness, but he's patient and merciful. So he forgives sinners when they repent. So he forgives and restores rebels and lets them serve him again. And he forgives sinners and there are no exceptions when they repent, even though he's holy and he has every right to demand absolute holiness. And this text says he has a right to have fierce anger against sin. You cannot believe the Jesus of the Bible and say that there is no wrath of God. You cannot have a God who is good who doesn't have wrath. The wrath of God is one of his sweetest attributes. He has the character to have a holy anger against things he ought to have a holy anger against. There are things that if you aren't angry about them, then you are not righteous. There is, be careful, there's a righteous indignation. Most of us usually are not righteous in our indignation, just so you know, right? But there is such a thing, and there's certain things that we should have that God has anger against. Maybe a simple illustration would be this. Let's just say you say, I I, I'm kind of a neutral guy. I don't like to get involved in things. I kind of mind my own business. But let's just say you're on this street in downtown Jackson. You're walking through a neighborhood and you see a, a man and he's hurting a little girl. And you just say, I'm not going to get involved. Are you good, bad, or neutral? I'll help you. You're bad. You're bad. If there's a little girl and you don't do anything to help her, it's not moral neutrality. It's evil right? And God, in his great mysterious plan, has a way to eventually reckon good for all good and evil for all evil. God will reward all those who deserve reward. He will punish all those who deserve punishment, and he'll put his punishment on his son Jesus for those who ask for his mercy. But he's absolutely just. And that's why Old Testament and New Testament teach us the wrath of God. God isn't good if he doesn't hate sin, if he doesn't have an abiding anger against sin. And that, that's why he's so merciful that he forgives sinners, but they have to repent. Maybe you have been responsible for the death of a little preborn baby. Maybe you're a man who encouraged a woman to end the life of her child. Maybe you're a woman and in a hard spot in your life, you allowed 
your child's life to end. There's mercy for that. But you have to repent. Maybe right now you struggle with a dark temptation that you really don't like to talk to other people about because it's so hard for you and you don't even remember a time in your life when you didn't have that dark temptation and you feel like that means you can't be Christian, you can't be among nice, good Christian people. Or maybe it makes you see their hypocrisy all the more. You can be forgiven for whatever that sin is, but you have to repent. We can't have the mercy without the repentance. In our culture, we don't mind talking about a God who's merciful. But we forget to say, but you have to repent. You have to see things God's way. You have to have a change of heart and mind and soul that you hate your sin and you love God and you desire for him to transform you and change you. Does that happen to you? It can because he's so eager to give you his mercy, but you have to repent. And the Bible is very clear about that. We should never apologize for God's wrath against sin. It's part of his glory. We shouldn't lose our prophetic voice. Jonah goes to town and he says, you've sinned. Jonah also had sinned. But, but part of what we do is we give the good news of the gospel. But what makes people ready for the gospel is the teaching of the law. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that we, I don't mean that you're supposed to be a cranky person always calling out people for their sins and ignoring yours like a lot of Christians do. I don't mean that you should like identify yourself with a, a certain political candidate and give the beat down to everybody who disagrees with you. Let me say that again. You can like watch, rewind the tape and watch that again. This is a confusing time. People are messed up and confused, right? I had lunch with a guy this week. He's totally confused. He's totally confused because of what Christians endorse and what they don't endorse, right? I mean, are you growing up? Can you, can you take this, right? And he's, totally, he's all confused about the gospel because of that. We, we live in a time when it's really important that we're honest about our own sin and not just condemning other people's sin, but we need to have our prophetic voice. We need to not lose our prophetic voice. God says there's going to be judgment coming because of this, and we must not lose our prophetic voice. You can't read the Jonah story and read that out of the Jonah story. It's there. Jonah goes to a town where it's pretty dangerous and says, you guys are about to get judged before, because of your sin. You have 40 days, and it would have been very easy for the king to rise up off his throne and do what the king did to lots of other people, skin him alive, literally. Make him an example. Jonah comes to town and he has a prophetic voice. And we want to be wise about how we use a prophetic voice, but we need to have one, right? But let me say it another way. Why would anybody want the gospel if they didn't think they were a sinner? Now you might think, well, a lot of people, they already know they're a sinner as well. You know, kind of go over that lightly and then give them the water of the gospel and tell them the good news. But it might be good first to kind of go over the law See, loving the law is not legalism. Abusing the law is legalism, right? It's, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night. I love God's word. I love God, how God expresses his moral righteousness. I love that. I, Christians ought to love the law of God, but they don't keep the law in the power of the flesh to be saved or sanctified. They don't add to the law. It's good enough. They love the law. They meditate on the law because it brings a sinner to repentance. It brings a believer to sanctification. And the law is good for those things. And we should teach the law. We should have a prophetic voice, but we should also follow that with the gospel once the law has been taught. We should not neglect God's mercy, but we shouldn't neglect God's wrath. And we should have a prophetic voice and we should also give the gospel. These are the things that we have the privilege to do. 
Think about that too. Do you have within you a strain of, of religious hypocrisy, a kind of a dark strain of religious hypocrisy or like maybe like prejudice or that, you, that you've kind of like, it's, it's Christian to you, it's okay. Do you have any of that going on? Because unbelievers, that, you know, maybe people that are kind of given into sexual immorality or drug, you know, addiction or, you know, the, the, the dark, dirty, bad things that nice Christian people don't do, right? They're pretty keen to see our hypocrisy. They notice when we have like prejudice. They notice our selfishness. They're really sharp about seeing that. And, and, you know, and that's legitimate. So we should be sharp about seeing that too. Do you have within you any dark strain of religious hypocrisy or superiority? There's mercy for you too, but you have to do what? You have to repent. You have to say, God, I'll put on, you have to put on sackcloth and ashes. Can I, can I, can I ask you a question? What does your, your experience of fasting look like? If, I, if we were sitting down together and I say, talk to me about your experience of fasting, what would you tell me? Pagans fasted. They had the animals fast. There's a bit of satire here. God is trying to say, look at these pagans. They're so pagan. They're, and they're fasting. And their animals are fasting. And you, Israel, he says to Israel, you, you've had great privileges. You are idolaters who don't, you're not broken about your sin. You don't fast. Jesus said there in Matthew and chapter 6, and when you fast, don't do it this way, do it that way. Did he command us to fast? Not quite. There, there really isn't a New Testament command to fast. But there's a New Testament expectation that we will fast. When the bridegroom goes away, then we'll fast. So, so it's almost like your dad says to you, I want you to clean the garage. And, I, and, I, and when I get home, if you don't clean the garage, then you're going to be grounded and you're not going to be able to play football. And if you have time... You could hang those hooks for the bikes. I mean, I don't expect you to get to that, and they're up really high. You probably can't, but if you did, that'd be great. So it's not a command, but if you hang those hooks up there and you hang the bikes on them and it pleases your dad when he gets home, I think God has done that in fasting. He's saying, I'm not going to command you to fast, but I know you will. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, he'll reward those whose fasting is sincere. And maybe it would be a good idea to set aside a football game and take a walk and examine your heart and fast that football game and say to God, is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you? Is there anyone I've wronged and I haven't made it right? Is there anything I've taken and I haven't made that right? Is there any dishonest practice that I need to repent of? Is there anything I haven't done I should do, anything I should do I haven't done? Are there words that aren't right? Are there motives in my heart that aren't pleasing to you? Holy Spirit, tell me he's more eager for you to be holy than you are to be holy. If you pray like that, he'll speak to your heart. And then to get his mercy, what do you do? You repent. We're going to have to stay here a long time today. No, you, you get it, right? I, raise your hand if you're sorry you missed that question. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So that's it. How do you get God's mercy? It's there, but you have to repent. So how do you get restored to service after you've rebelled against him? You repent, and he puts you back to work for him. That's exactly what he did with Peter. And, how, and how, what if you have some dark sin that you don't even want anybody to know about? Take it to the cross and repent of it, and he gives you his mercy, and he restores you, and he forgives you, and he cleanses you, and there are no exceptions to that. This is a promise of the Bible. If it's not true, the Bible's not true. And Jesus died for nothing, right? But we know the Bible is true, and we know that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. 
for all who would repent and believe. And so this is a, this is a precious truth. Think about just a couple things. Think about your marriage. This is where the Lord often does work in our hearts. So think about your, maybe your parenting or your treatment of your parents. Think about those closest to you, maybe those that are, that are most difficult, and ask yourself, if I was honest about my sin with my wife, if I was honest about my sin with my wife, I, I, tried to, I was going to leave Lois out this week. Sorry, honey, but you're, you're going to go back in for a second. So, but I said something angry, rude to my wife a few days ago. And it was just rude and angry. And, um, and immediately it was like, that was wrong. And so I'm like, ah. And I said, right away, I go, hey, what I just said was really wrong. <laughs> What I just said was really wrong. Will you forgive me? And she goes, yes. <laughs> kind of like, again? <laughs> but what if you didn't do that? What if you just said mean, angry things to people that you're supposed to love? And then you just went to work and then you went to, you know, went to work and talked about Jesus and whatnot you know, and discipled people. It'd be hard to listen to the guy preach, wouldn't it? <laughs> what about your wife? Does she go on? I hope he's getting this right now. Really? I hope he's, I mean, I, you know, you're supposed to listen for you, but you, you can't help but go, I hope, you, I hope, because he, I mean, that dude says rude things to me kind of regularly, and I wish that his heart was tender about that. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little repentance would, would warm up your marriage. Maybe a little repentance would get your kids' attention, and they would say, wow, I never heard mom ask forgiveness like that before. Jesus must be real. It's a miracle. Right? With your kids. You know, wouldn't it be something? Some, some of the sweetest times. I, I love my mom and dad. Went visit them yesterday, and I and I left my coat by accident, and because it was now that cold out. And then when I left, my dad called me on the phone. He goes, "Hey, turn around and meet me. I'll I'll bring you your coat." And I'm like, "No, don't worry about it, Dad. I'll I'll get it the next time we see each other." And I came home. And then a few minutes later, Lois goes, "Who's out in the driveway?" Your dad's out in the driveway. He lives like 40 minutes away. He just got in his car and brought me my coat. It means I have a good dad. Some of the sweetest memories of my dad and my mom were times when they didn't do wrong that often, but when they did, and they came to me and they asked my forgiveness because they had a conscience that they repented. Like, what, what a church we would have if all the elders and pastors and all the good ladies of the church and would, would be repenters, would be quick to say, okay, God, anything in my life not pleasing to you, any word or thought or attitude, any wrongdoing, I know you're there to show me mercy, but you, you won't give me mercy until I repent. Wouldn't it be great if we were repenters? I think it would sweeten our whole church. I think it would be, that would be, that's, you know what they call it when a lot of people repent? Revival. That's all we got to have to have revival is to have people just be sensitive to their sin God is so merciful that he restores rebels and he uses them again. He's so merciful that he forgives those who repent. And here's the amazing thing. He's so merciful, merciful that he gives us repentance. He demands repentance of us and he gives us repentance. You go, is that in the Bible? Yes, that's in the Bible. I'm going to show you one of the places where that's in the Bible. Look at this. So, so what happened in Nineveh? What happened to that? Was that, okay, somebody says it was a redemptive analogy. 
because they worship the fish god. And when Jonah comes to town with a fish story, they're like, okay, we believe. That may be true. Because people that study missions have these amazing stories about redemptive analogies, about how God embeds a truth in a culture, and then a person comes and touches that spot in the culture, and the people incredibly believe. We've seen like the Etau video, stuff like that, where, where, the, where whole groups of people turn to God. There are times in the history of our nation where whole groups of people have flocked to God, have turned to God in remarkable movements like this. This is what happened in Nineveh. But I will tell you this. Regardless of whether there was a redemptive analogy or people could smell the fish juice on Jonah or whatever that was, you got to realize God chose to give them repentance. God moved to sweep this culture with a, with a broken heart because of their sin. And this is what the Bible says God will do. Listen to this. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. He, Paul is saying to Timothy, in the ministry, you don't have to beat people up. He's saying, this is like, like kind of my um, paraphrase of it. Hey, Timothy, you don't have to be hard on people. You don't have to beat people up. Be gentle and appeal to their conscience and ask God to give them repentance. That's how they get out of Satan's trap. Now, hear the word of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Don't argue with people. You know they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and they escape the snare of the devil where they have been taken captive by him to do his will. This is what we do. We embed the gospel in good works for our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones and the people that we work with. We're a gracious and prophetic voice, not a quarrelsome one, just saying what is true. And when the time is right, saying the law of God, following that up with an expression of the story of God's mercy. And we're calling people to repentance. We, that's hard work. Okay, to cultivate our neighbors, it's hard work to, to go to a mission field, to walk across the street to a mission field. It's hard labor. But when somebody comes to the Lord, it's a miracle, right? So that we may labor to get the gospel to people, but when people repent, it's God gives them repentance. And you know this, it's like picking blueberries. So today, out on the West Coast, I know my oldest daughter and her husband and their baby are going to go to Coffee Girl. Coffee Girl is wonderful. Is this not true hope? Every Sunday morning, right, out in Oregon, they go to Coffee Girl. Coffee Girl is this wonderful little coffee shop that's built in an old, in an old tuna cannery on a piling in the mouth of the Columbia River. And there's ocean-going vessels out in the mouth of the Columbia River, and you can sit right there and drink your coffee. And the first time I went there, I guess it was the spring of the year, I walk in, and there on top of the counter is a lemon blueberry muffin. I saw, and I coveted. And I said to the lady, I said, could you warm that up for me? And could you serve that with black coffee? She said, we can. And she warmed it up, and I still think about that muffin. <laughs> Every time I go out there, no matter what time of the year, as I'm walking in, I'm like, do you have a blueberry muffin, the lemon blueberry muffin? And then they go, no, those muffins are made with fresh blueberries. So they're not in season right now. We only have when they're in season. Have you ever gone blueberry picking when the blueberries were in season? Yes. Have you noticed how it works? You touch them and they fall off in your hand. And they're sweet. They're sweet. Touch them and they fall off in your hand. 
It may have been a long trip to get to the blueberry patch. It may have been a lot of work cultivating them and all of that. But when it's time for harvesting, you touch them and they fall off in your hand. This is so true when it comes to working with souls, with people. And that is that you love them and you pray for them and you befriend them and you teach the law and you give them the gospel, but then God grants repentance. And when they get saved, you know it was God. The people that you save, they're not really saved. (laughs) The people that God saves, they're saved. They're changed. Because God, he's so merciful that he restores rebels and puts them back to work. He's so merciful that he forgives sinners if they repent. He's so merciful that he grants repentance to us. Listen, I looked at our little order of service and I noticed we have a song that we're going to sing next. I want to read you the lyrics because you never should sing a song you don't mean and you're not paying attention to it. It's the answer to the question that we have in our souls. Lois asked me this yesterday. She says, I'm glad, you know, that we're older and we don't have to go through what our kids are going to have to go through in the world that they're going to live in where people can walk into a synagogue and kill innocent people they're trying to worship. People can walk into a school and kill little precious children that are trying to learn. They walk into a church and murder people where people are all confused about what's right and wrong. People are all messed up and confused about what breaks the heart of God and what God loves and what God hates. And, and most preachers don't even, they're not even willing to talk about it because it's unpopular, because our message is unpopular. What kind of world is that? How in the world are our kids going to live in Nineveh? You know, the answer is they need, to, they need to be mindful of the mercy of God and the importance of repentance. Listen to what this says. The grace of God, this is called the Lord is my salvation. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. I'm safe on solid ground because the Lord is my salvation. How are my kids going to make it in this world? They need to understand that God is merciful to those who repent and he can deliver them. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I see the dawn of rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. My hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of his word. When winter fades, the spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. And when I reach my final day, he will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise. He'll call me home. The Lord is my salvation. This is how we live in Nineveh. We're mindful of the mercy of God that he gives to those who repent. The Lord is our salvation. So let's stand right now. And as an expression, you say, how many of you, stand? how many of you would say, you know what you said? I believe. I believe. Raise your hands. I believe. I thought so. And so we want you just to, let's just uh, sing like believers. God, you are my salvation. I believe you're merciful. I want to be quick to repent. I'm going to be asking you, what do you want me to repent of? I'm going to put on sackcloth and ashes fast if necessary. I want your mercy on my life. I want my kids to see your mercy on my life. I want people that live with me to experience God's mercy. The Lord is my salvation. Let's sing it together. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I safe on the solid ground. 
with others would you come right now I want you those of you that are that are uh, that are that have designated to pray with us come and stand in the front um, so today we want to sing this song again um, and I, here's what I'd like to help you do and that is to you know, maybe maybe the Lord has put on your heart to obey something we were talking about today where there's an area of your life where you need to be really tenderhearted to God and you need to be repentant and there would be there's a new level of mercy for you think about that wouldn't it be Wonderful if there's a whole new level of mercy for you. You know, like, I, my heart's really burdened for people that, like, they struggle with sin that they don't feel like they can get free of. And it's hard. And they don't remember a time when they didn't struggle with that. The Lord is your salvation. He will help you. He will. And, the, and today, I uh, just want to give you a special message. Well, we sing this again. And, and maybe, maybe some of you would like to come while we're singing and kneel and just, you know, during a song, just kneel and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you for help. 
I'm looking to you. You're my deliverance. You're my salvation. You're my help. You take me to the next level of mercy. So we're going to sing the song again, give you an invitation. If you want to come, if you want to come to know the Lord and you're not sure about how to be saved, take the hand of one of these people that's standing here. And they'll arrange to explain to you how to be saved today. But if you're already a believer and you just like to come and pray, then come, you know, stand here for a moment or maybe take a knee if you like. Let's just sing the song again. You can pray where you're standing. That's just fine. Let's sing it again. I want to invite you to come if you want to come. If you come to me, take my hand. I'll know this because you want to come to know the Lord as your Savior. Let's sing it again. So, um, 
I want my kids to look at me on Sunday and go, Dad is more excited on Sunday than he is on Saturday. Amen? I, I want them. And, and so do we. And so I know you have affection for the Lord. You've expressed it today. Let me pray a benediction. And we'll be on our way. We go out of the world that needs to know the Lord is their salvation. God in heaven, I thank you for your precious, beautiful stories of your word. It's so interesting and, and so fascinating, so helpful, so hopeful that you are so merciful, that, that, you're, that you're eager to forgive those who repent, that you restore us when we rebel, if we repent, that you give us repentance when we need it. Give us, I pray, God, repentant souls and repentant hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you later today. All right.